actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com slash MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BadlandsRanch.com slash MC901 today. The weather was ideal on May 14, 1998, in Nashville, Tennessee. At around 8 a.m., the temperature was 72 degrees. It was sunny out. The Regions Bank at 2700 Franklin Pike had just opened up, and it was business as usual. Everything seemed like it was shaping up to be a fine day. But business and that fine day was about to be disrupted by a very violent bank robber. Welcome back to another episode of Music City 911. So we're live here with Music City 911. This is kind of the first time that we're doing a live episode like this. So kind of forgive us as we're going. (laughs) I'd like to, first off, before we get into anything else, uh, thank you, Trent, here at Spread the Positive Studios for uh, having us on and letting us live stream like that. That's a big thing. If you haven't yet, which um, I hope you have, go ahead and like and follow Spread the Positive on Facebook or Instagram, any other type of uh, social media like that yes sir appreciate it, y'all man uh pumped to have you in here this is really really cool yeah yeah good, <laughs> yeah. good. glad you yes glad sir you're having us yes sir and also we have in here the the guest for the the show today is uh terry burnett i was gonna just kind of let you have at it kind of give us a little background about your, yourself mr burnett and where you're from where you grow up kind of your how you grew up 
just basic info like that. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. I lived there till I was uh, nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, my parents moved to Mississippi, North Central Mississippi. So I basically grew up in Mississippi, which is very rural, but a very good small town, probably less than a thousand people. Uh, so I had a really good upbringing i had to do everything right because my parents knew everybody there so they kind of made sure that we were going to do things right um i graduated from coffeeville high school in uh, 1979 um my dreams i guess the only two dreams i had growing up was being in the marine corps and then being a police officer and being a canine handler so when i graduated from high school that's what i did i started off i joined the marine corps Stayed in there, did my time in there, came out, do a few other little odds and ends. Some uh, went to school for a little bit, but I knew in my heart that I wanted to be a police officer. So my parents taught me into moving up here to Nashville and start, you know, trying to apply to different uh, police departments and did that in 1986. I was hired on with the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department, started the academy session 15, and um kind of thing started you know kind of took off from me from there i was doing the only two things that i've ever wanted to do so i feel real fortunate there yeah that's that's really cool in ni- 1986 man that that's a little bit ago yeah, i was a while ago let's see I, i'm i'm guessing i was about in the first grade <laughs> yeah. I, I was born yeah that's my birthday uh, <laughs> sorry didn't so, have to go there no, it's been a while ago sometimes I, I look back at it and it seems like a lifetime and then other times i look at it and it just seems like everything passed so fast and you know it seems like yesterday I, I i know exactly what you're talking about being up at dispatch for 22 years I look back at some of the first calls that I took, and it feels like it was just yesterday. Just yesterday. Yeah. So what year? You, it was 1986. How did you transition from being just a normal patrol officer into being a canine handler? Well, it's like I say, you know, that being a handler was my dream, but I knew I had to spend my time in patrol. And I, like I say, after graduating the academy, I worked different sectors around town of patrol, worked uh, patrol for a little over 10 years and we my wife and i knew if i was ever going to be able to go to k9 we had to have a, a house mm-hmm. you know and we lived in apartments i'd done security in apartments and we got lucky and was able to get a house and uh not too long after that they had uh put in for an opening k9 i went ahead and put my paperwork in to get transferred there and got very lucky and got over there probably in 19 19- 97 i believe i went to canine okay so you did you did a pretty good bit of time on the streets there on the streets yeah, in patrol you know and i got to to work some good sectors i worked you know some of our areas i know people local know the jc napier the mm-hmm. university court areas and got a lot of real quick fast experience working in those particular zones yeah you will those so. they're still even to this day they're still probably our our busiest and most busiest. dangerous but it's like I say, I worked, you know, enjoy my time in patrol. But like I say, I always had that dream of being able to get to canine. Mm-hmm. So, just kind of transitioning into the the whole canine aspect was Aaron your first dog that you had, or well, when I first went to canine, they had a dog over there that somebody had donated and said the dog was just extremely vicious and they couldn't do anything with him and his name was charlie mm-hmm. beautiful german shepherd and i worked with him 
uh, started training with him and worked with him probably for about six weeks. And I never saw any of that viciousness in him. He was oh, really? just a really lovable dog. And so they ended up having to wash him out, you know, and that broke my heart because I'd really gotten attached to him. Mm-hmm. And so we decided they wouldn't let me adopt him, but they would let my mother-in-law. Oh, adopt. so you kept him there close so we by. we ended up keeping him, keeping him at our house. Yeah. It was our dog. And he ended up being more my wife's dog. He <laughs> fell in love with her and everywhere she went, you know, he was right there with her. But then, like I say, once they washed him out, my next dog that they got me was the first dog that I completed training with, which was Aaron. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've worked uh, five dogs. I've worked uh, patrol slash drug dogs. I've worked patrol slash uh, explosive dogs. And then I've just worked patrol dogs. So I've kind of been around as far as that part. Yeah, that's that's a really well-versed training there going from top to bottom. Yeah. Aaron, what would he be classified as? He was strictly just a patrol dog. Okay. Because at that time, we weren't doing any cross-training. Yeah. It was either, you know, we had our dogs, and then like uh, Vice, they had their drug dogs. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't any cross-training. So he was strictly patrol. Yeah, so that's that's something that, that kind of come up new during all that. Years ago was when it uh, when we had the, the cross trained canines like used to, everybody would say, get me a canine or get me a drug dog. Yeah. And then it, it changed up to where it was just get me a cross train if you got one. Yeah. The training you actually have to go through with the patrol dog, what, what would you have to put the, the dog through? Were you part of that training? I guess you are. Yeah. Um, of course, when we get these, our dogs, when we get them in, we get them from vendors and they're green dogs. And the mainly the only thing we know for sure is that they do have a prey drive and that they do have an aggression level. Mm-hmm. And so we start out from ground zero with the dogs, teaching them basically what to do and how to do. And it's the, the patrol end of it is about, about 16 to 18 weeks. And so you start everything from ground level, teaching them how to track, how to do apprehensions, bite and holds, mm-hmm. uh, to clearing buildings, things like that. Yeah, the, the clearing the buildings, that's what, I mean, granted, from my knowledge, of course, I'm not a police officer, never have been, but from me up there at dispatch, we kind of know when to ask for K-9, you know, clearing out buildings, depending on the circumstances, obviously, if it's a, a business or something like that, and they've kind of transition i know there for a while they didn't do any residences but they've went back to that now and you know stolen cars things like that any type of violent any type of uh, uh, violent criminal situation Mm -hmm. then our dogs can be used yeah and which no doubt in my mind these dogs so many times have saved handlers and backup officers that would have walked into things that they really didn't want to walk into yeah that that is a real good, I hate to call them a tool, but they're a tool that we use, but a tool that we as handlers get off or close to. And all, oh, yeah. You know, we love the dogs. Because you live with them 24-7. 24-7, seven days a week. And, you know, that was one of the things that they told us when we went to canine. Are we aware that that's what you're going to have to do? And how is your family with that because if everybody's not on board with it it's never going to work so we you know they become part of the family all right so getting into the kind of the incident that we were kind of focusing on today uh with aaron and the regions bank robbery Mm -hmm. 
Trent, I'll go ahead and let you play the, the first clip to, you know, we got a call in. This is from the radio traffic uh, when we were first putting it out. Just go ahead and play that, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Cars especially west got a code 1000, code 1000 in progress, 2700 Franklin Pike, 2700 Franklin Pike off Ferry Road at Regions Bank. Send my for description time 838. Code 1000, that's our code for bank robbery. It still is. Uh, they've changed around a few of the codes, but code 1000 still bank robbery. They were waiting on the description there. I was going to play the 911 call that we got in that you uh, provided there also, but the tape hiss, and when I say tape hiss, uh, back then everything was recorded on tape. The tape hiss plus the a person that was calling was whispering so low, uh, I even tried cleaning it up. I couldn't get that cleaned up enough to where you could hear what they yeah. were saying. So that there, that's put that's a call that's put out on all air, so all the radio channels that we have is put out bank robbery so if anybody's close by they know to go on it when you hear something like that go out what's your thoughts what what starts through your mind my immediately is did they leave in a car did mm-hmm. they see a car uh, did they run to a certain location or whatever because i know that that's going to matter a lot as far as what we can do as a canine unit yeah and then on this particular situation, when they did say the suspect ran out the back door toward the wood lines, you know, okay, that's a canine situation. So that's when I checked in route to that location. I was a little ways from there, but by the time I got there, they had gotten a really good perimeter set up. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's, of course, your adrenaline starts pumping a little bit. Oh, yeah. And with, um, with my dog, he had not had an apprehension yet. Okay. So he was brand new. He had not had an apprehension. So, you know, part of us going through your mind that, you you know, you got to take care of him. He's going to take care of me. And, you know, hoping that he's able to apprehend this guy, this bank robber, is what's going through your mind. Yeah. And plus the fact, I'm going back on the dispatch end, too, uh, you've got the difference between a Code 1000 in progress and yeah. then a Code 1000 alarm. Yeah, and uh, I know in a little bit of the audio, I heard a lot of people say still fifty three. So that code one thousand must have been kind of a newish code back then. Regardless of that, uh, an alarm is you know we're going to go out there as fast as we can, police. Yeah, you know, but at the same time, it's not quite the same. There's something there's uh, there's a difference to it when you hear there's someone actually robbing a bank because yeah. if uh, an alarm those can be false all the time, all but the if time. someone says there's someone here, that's one hundred percent accurate. You yeah. know that's that's what's happening. Go ahead and play clip two, and we'll we'll go from there. Twelve, I'm in route. Ten, four, twelve. Thank you. Fourteen items. Over number. I'm in route. Ten, four, fourteen. And our cars be advised. I'm getting eighty-three call now at twenty-six, twelve Franklin Pike at McDonald's. Got an older male black shooting a gun, and jeans jacket, that is around the back. Call in. Steve's got air one and. Suspect's going to be a male in a green jacket, possibly Laotian. All right, so that there, we heard you checking route to it. Yeah. Uh, you were 656, 656 on the call. That, that was my car number and checking in route to mm-hmm. it. So our, our canine units now, they're in the, the 5200, so, yeah. or 5300s, I think. Uh, get those mixed up them in traffic sometimes yeah. now but so you're in route to it we hear that the dispatcher talk about an 83 paul 
83 Paul was shots fired. That's our code for shots fired. Yeah. And it was back behind the McDonald's. A little bit later on, we'll probably find out something about that. But you're responding to the call on us up at dispatch when you've got a bank robbery and then you get a shots fired right there at the same place pretty much. That just that ups everything. I ups mean, it's everything probably 100%. Yeah. It, it, just everything. It's the adrenaline level, the desire, and, and trying to get to that location safe because, you know, the sooner you can get there. And the thing we were lucky about that day is that it happened right outside of Berry Hill, yeah. which is a little small police department within Davidson County. Mm-hmm. And they were right down the street yeah. when that bank robbery happened. So they were able to get on the scene and get some good information before I got there. Yeah, and that's that's actually inside their city limits. And, and in fact, that's a good little segue because uh, the next clip we got is Barry Hill coming over the radio talking about yeah. it, too. Barry Hill to West. Barry Hill, go ahead. 10-4, the 2700 Franklin, that's not the bank in Kroger's, that's Regents Bank on Franklin Pike, and I believe where our units are behind the McDonald's on Franklin Pike, they believe that subject is in the woods there, they believe he is in the woods shot when he came out. So, uh, that's you again, saying that you're in route out there, um, where, do you remember where you were coming from? That particular time, I was coming from over in West Nashville. Uh-huh. I was over actually over off of Robertson Road, which okay. was still a little, quite a ways. That's about a, for a normal person, yeah. 10, 12-minute drive, I guess, something yeah. like that. And it just happened to be there was just that particular morning, there was just two of, two canine handlers mm-hmm. working the city, working the whole city. And uh, the other handler was also a ways off, and then I was a way off on the other side of the county. But like I say, a normal deal is probably... 10 15 minutes to get to that location yeah and you being one of two in the county that that's uh you have to cover i think metro is what 590 something or 560 square miles something like that 533 square miles yeah it's a lot of area yeah it's a lot of area to cover granted the the kind of standard thing to do and we'll we'll kind of get into that too is that once the primary officers get there on the scene they can set up a perimeter that way they can hold it until y'all get there and then y'all get in from there um let's go ahead and get into the next clip there uh clip number four 574 uh we're on the corner behind shoney's witnesses saw him go in the woods right here where you at tay Okay, 574, be advised that uh, the witness is saying he's armed with a uh, Glock. He had shot himself once in the foot. All right, so the witness is there. They said that he shot himself. Now, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what ha- happened with that part of it. I mean, you may know now, but if it was just him, bad handling of the gun or... Uh, you know, to be honest with you... I- I don't think it was ever really determined that he actually did shoot himself in uh-huh. the foot. I know that that he did discharge his weapon. I don't know if it was trying to intimidate the officers or whatever that were coming on the scene or what. But yeah. I, I never really found out for sure if he did actually shoot himself in the foot. Yeah, so with that being said, with the whole shooting part, the description of the suspect, for you as a canine handler, what is the importance of something like that uh the importance is a lot of time when you start on a track in some of these areas you have a lot of people around and um, your dog is going to pick up on the freshest track once Mm -hmm. you start him tracking he's going to pick up on the freshest track so that description you get into the woods where there could be other people 
and you see this person, you want to have some idea that your dog is going after the right person. So it's very important to get a good description of the suspect. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and play clip five, and we'll move from there, too. Okay, the suspect's going to be a male, possibly Laotian, green jacket, mustache, glasses, tan pants. 542, the people in the bank advised the mustache appeared fake, so don't count on the mustache. 666. All right, so there you are again asking for the, the other canine unit to get in route and kind of going back on the same thing we talked a little bit before. In a situation like that, well, any of them really, why would you need two out there? I mean, I. I, I know from being up there, but most people listening probably don't know why you would need two canines out Well, the importance of that is having another canine handler there that if something does happen, that he knows how to deal with the dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, if, if I went down, then that dog is going to pretty much do everything he can to protect me. Yeah. So if you've got another handler there, he has the mental tools that he needs to have to be able to deal with that dog. And also knows the commands and everything going on. Knows the commands, knows everything like that. And plus, too, we do so many training tracks together. We know how each team works. We know what the dog does when he gets close into, you know, if I had a track with um, Devery's dog, Devery Mm -hmm. Moses was the other handler who was there. You know, we had trained together. If I had tracked, backed him up on a track, then when we started getting in close to a suspect, I would know how that dog reacts. Mm-hmm. Cause like I say, we do so many of them together. And then it's just like with Devery, when we got into a location and he sees how my dog's reacting, he knows, okay, I got to pay more attention to what's going on because my dog, that dog is reacting the way he's seen him do in training tracks. So it's important um, to have another handler there. And also it's, it's kind of a comfort level knowing that the person that's backing you up, if something happens to me, he knows how to take care of my dog. Yeah, so and it's, vice it's versa, comfort, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just a comfort level you have there. Well, let's go ahead and play clip six, and we'll talk more about uh, the rest of it here in a second. All right, so that was you checking on the scene. A real quick clip there. You're there on the scene. Bank robberies just happened. You got Berry Hill Police there on the scene. You got Metro Police, uh, several units there on the scene. They've got a decent little perimeter set up because they got people up on the interstate. And for all y'all listening, I'll, and the, if you hadn't joined yet, join the discussion group on Facebook. Um, I'll post a picture on there and some of those other social media of the area that I was talking about. Up on the interstate, there's from from the McDonald's and Regions Bank. And granted, it's changed now because there's new buildings there and everything. But back then, there was a big old wooded area separating the back parking lot from the McDonald's and the Regions Bank, and there was a little nursery over there on the side. Then you had a, a pretty good-sized wooded area, and I'd say well, probably about a, what, a 20-foot incline up to the interstate probably. right there, right? Yeah. And it's steep up that way, too. So there's a decent little perimeter set up. What's your first thing coming on the scene? What, what are you trying to assess and do? No. First thing that I'm going to do is get with the person that last saw him. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get an area. He's going to say, he went this direction, or I saw somebody running this direction. So, and they were able to get that information from other people, civilians and people that they were there on the scene. So I knew the general area that he ran into. And once we've done that, I get a clarification again on 
the description of the suspect. Once I have that and my backup's there and ready, I'll go ahead and let the units on the scene know that we're going to start the track, and we started the track then. Yeah, and at that point, there's been command set up. Um, I can't remember if CAR-10 or 103 was the one that set up command on it. Uh, that's the sergeant was on the scene, lieutenant that was uh, on the scene or about to get on the scene. Mm-hmm. He set up command, and uh, the reason we do command on really any police fire you know, incident like that it's so we'll cut down on the radio traffic and the radio systems we have now, you can't talk over each other. The dispatcher can talk over an officer, but the officers can't talk over each other. But back then it was a free for all. I mean, you could have three or four people keen up at the same time. And at least with a command set up like that, you'd have to go through the command or theoretically supposed to anyway, Yeah. go through the command. And then, uh, the command tells dispatch or assigns whatever. So it hopefully cuts down on some of the radio traffic. You know, we, We'll see real, real quick that it didn't, but yeah, but that was what it was meant to do. Yeah. It's like I say, I can remember back before we started all setting up commands. You know, if you put out that an officer was in trouble, you had officers from every part of the county oh, yeah. out there, and so that I mean, the radio traffic, you didn't know who was where, or, you know, what they were getting ready to do. So, you know, once we got to the point where we started setting up commands, like you say, it made things a little bit easier as far as communicating. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, when we have code 5,000, now that's another thing I was going to ask you because you were there back then. I know when I first started, code 5,000 was still kind of a new thing Mm -hmm. for an officer in distress, officer down, whatever like that. Used to, it was 1055. Yeah. When I first started on, they said that you might still have have some older officers that will say 1055. And I had, you know, they're pretty rarely, but I've had a couple of them that was saying 1055. Yeah. Yeah. You've used that radio signal for years and years, and then you add in the stress of an officer being hurt or down. You know, there were some times that I was around that I heard 1055 after we'd gone to the Code 5000. Yeah, yeah, it happened. Well, uh, let's go ahead and play. Uh, I think we're on uh, we're on to clip seven now, right? Yep. All right, let's go ahead and play that. Command, this is 423, Adam. Command, go ahead. Shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired. Our cars keep air clear. What's your 20? Shots fired over here. Where are you? Cars keep air clear. Oh, go ahead. Keep air clear. I'm in Donald. I'm down. I'm down. Officer down. I'm down. So that, you've gone in the woods at this point. You sent your dog in. Walk me through what happened. Okay, like I said, they gave me a last location that uh, the suspect was seen running. So that's where I'll take my dog. And I've got a um, 15-foot lead that's hooked to a harness to him. And we'll start the track there. With, as soon as I went to that location, Aaron picked up a track. Mm-hmm. And Debra was behind me, and I noticed as he was going toward the woods, there was a fence line there. And he started 
throwing his head up. And that's kind of a signal that he's air sending. The the person could possibly be close. He could be he could be three yards from you, he could be twenty yards. But when that dog starts smelling him, not the track that was on the ground, when he starts smelling your suspect, a lot of times we'll do is call air sending. He'll throw that head up. And I remember telling Devery I, when he threw that head up, I told Devery, I said, Man, watch, because he's close. He's close. Well, it's like I say, I think he had had kind of a pre planned getaway deal. And he had uh, cut a hole in the fence. And, of course, my dog had pulled up to that hole. And I remember telling Devery, just keep an eye out because it was real thick beyond that hole. And so I shortened up on that lead for me and him to go through it. And as Aaron went through it, I started kind of bent over to uh, – go in with him i was right behind him holding the lead mm-hmm. well that's when the suspect which i didn't realize probably wasn't maybe even 10 yards from it was so much brush and real thick in there real thick in there and when he started shooting i had like i said i still had a hold of the lead and i tried to pull my dog back out because we couldn't see where it was coming from and my deal was okay we know he's here i got to get him out and as i stepped back when he had cut the hole in the fence, he didn't cut the bottom part. And I started trying to back out, and then that's when he was firing, I mean, just continuously. That's when I got hit in the foot. And about the same time I got hit in the foot from his uh, shot in the foot, my foot caught on the, the bottom piece, and I fell backwards. And... One thing you have to understand about this particular dog, he was a big dog, a big, strong dog. I think the last time I took him to the vet, he weighed like 105 pounds, but he was very solid. And when the shooting started, that was his job to run toward the gunfire, and he ran toward it, and as I was falling back, the lead popped out of my hands. And so I, I immediately started trying to call him back to me then, but I could not tell how far back up in the woods he was. But... Um, like I say, well, I got out of there. I was um, trying to get stood back up. But like I say, I've been hitting the foot, and I had bullet fragments that had gone into my back part of my belt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I could tell. I mean, that was, wasn't feeling too good. But I remember trying to get up off the ground. You start thinking, you know, i got, I got to do something. So the only thing I knew at that time, since I couldn't get up, was continue rolling back and forth, back and forth, and I kept waiting to get hit, hit again. Fortunately, I had another officer, Officer Art Danner, and he put himself at great risk at that particular point to run over and help me stand up and got back to cover. And, I mean, that's when the suspect was continuing the fire. The officers were returning fire, uh, I had returned fire. Every everybody there was returning fire, and the whole time it's like saying, I don't know if you listen to that clip, it's just a real quick deal. But you can hear, hear me hollering "foose," and that's basically telling my dog to come back to me. And um, for just a short time, he did, and then I kept hollering it and kept hollering it. And I noticed something off to the right coming out of the woods. And uh, I saw him come stumbling out, Aaron come stumbling out of the woods. And it was just, I didn't, at first it didn't register register in my mind what had happened to him, but I noticed he was pushing himself 
back toward me um, because he couldn't move his front legs. And I kept hollering at him, and the guy, the suspect, was continuing to shoot. And I don't know how many rounds he took with him, um, you know, to do this particular job, which is so unusual. Most guys are going to go in there with a, you know, a gun that may work or may not work. But this guy had made plans for what he was going to do. And um, when he got a little bit further out of the woods, I was able to, you know, crawl up to him, and I wanted to get him back to a behind the trees there, but I noticed a patrol car was driving up to me even with all the shooting still going on and that was officer brian tomlin uh, he was driving crouched down behind his dashboard and another one that put themselves at great risk to run you know drive that car up in front and put that car between us and the suspect um, i was able to get my dog loaded up and you know fortunately on one end there was a vet barry hill animal clinic which was just down, you know, half a mile from where we were. Yeah, they're on Franklin Road, uh, yeah. They're on Franklin Road. And um, we got to that location. I think the dispatcher was already able to call them and say we were en route with a wounded police dog. We got there, and I was able to, he and I, my dog and I were laying in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only thing I could do was just kept telling him, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you help. I'm going to get you help. You know, I told him that I love him because, you know, you, you get to that feeling because these dogs are so close to you. And I love my dogs. And anybody over in Canaan will tell you, yeah. there's nobody that loves their dogs more than I do. But um, we got him to the vet and we took him in and um, the doctor there looked at him. And I could see in her face and I could see from his reactions, the dog's reactions that it uh, wasn't real good but um, she kept looking at him I had some fire firemen that were there and they were doing chest compressions on her because he had stopped breathing and she told me that I was going to have to step out and that really hurt to leave him like that but um, probably after about five minutes uh, Dr. Sandifer, which is the vet there, came out and said he didn't make it. Uh, turns out he had been shot twice in the chest and one um, basically severed his jugular vein. Uh, that it wouldn't matter if we were 10 yards from the vet or 100 miles that he wasn't going to be able to survive. Yeah. So uh, that was... um. Last time I saw him, in there, and I think about this all the time, every time I ride by that um, Berry Hill vet, and I look at that one particular window that I see there, and I think about it every time I ride by there. I think about it's the last place I held him, uh, the last place I told him I loved him. And, and like I say, he passed away there on that table. That's terrible here. I, and just on that same note, his role that day, how do you think that he did – I mean, I, I know you said he's, he did his job exactly. How do you think his, his role in, in that incident affected the rest of the officers that were there? I think anybody that had any kind of a heart saw how he came back out of those woods. I think it affected everybody there. Um, you know, good or bad I mean there was a 
news station was right down the road. Whenever mm-hmm. this one went out, they were doing another story. And so whenever they came up there, they were able to start from the time we started to the time we got him out of there. So I, I think that affected a lot of people. I know it affected the rest of my career in canine about how I approached things, how I looked at things, uh, how I did things. You know, that was just a... They call it baptism by fire. I mean, it was, I was right in there, just brand new in my career, and this happened. And there was, you know, several weeks there that I went back and forth. My wife and I went back and forth, you know, do I want to continue to do this again? And there were times I said no, and then um, I don't know. I just told my wife, I said, this has been my dream. I can't just, you know, I can't let it go. So I did, but it, it affected a lot of people. So while all this is going on there at the scene, we're still, they still got the suspect out there. Yeah. Uh, you've been trans. You, you went with your dog. Did you go to Vanderbilt after that too? Or? Yeah. I, I, that was Art. Yeah, he and Art Danner was driving it. And he kept telling me, I'm taking you to Vanderbilt. And I, it was a kind of a little bit of an argument there between me and him. No, get me to the vet. Yeah. So once I got to the vet, I knew I wasn't hurt real bad. So once I got to the vet and got everything situated, I went from there and went to Vanderbilt. And it's like you say, I knew that the suspect was still in the woods. When I left that location, I knew he was in there. And I knew... Um, that was really about all that I knew. I didn't know uh, if he was down. Uh, turns out, you know, they did a lot of negotiating with him, and he continued to fire even when the negotiators were there. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to go ahead and play, uh, do clip 10 and 11. We'll skip to those there. One agent in the man. And go. Suspect is still in the woods. We're talking to him now over the PA. He's still in our location where the officer was hit. Hey, 103, we've made contact with the suspect. Give us some time to keep it quiet. Uh, 3810 to all personnel on the interstate. The team is about to move up this uh, embankment. So just get your plenty of cover and concealment and uh, just stand by. All right, so SWAT team's there. I've got a very little amount of info as to what happened after SWAT got there. The the recordings for the tapes kind of play off from there. Granted, uh, SWAT usually works off their own channel. They, yeah. They're they not on the regular dispatch channel, so a lot of that we wouldn't have heard anyway. Uh, what happened to the suspect after SWAT went in after him? Okay, and this is, uh, you know, after everything was done, of course, like I say, I was away from the scene, but I talked to the SWAT officers and the other canine handlers that were there. Uh, it was made, deter- a determination was made that he still continued to fire we had they have to do something with him so we had another handler there alan harold with his dog which alan's dog back years ago was killed in the same situation in a bank robbery and um, alan was a really experienced handler he had his dog cliff very good dog so it was determined that alan would lead the way going back through and he would have three SWAT officers with him and uh, as they approached kind of the same location uh, and started to go in. Fortunately, Alan saw him, saw him move, and Alan hollered at him, there he is, and the guy started shooting again. Actually, Alan was also hit, also. It grazed under his arm, mm-hmm. him there. But it's like I say, the SWAT officer that was right behind him saw him, so he started 
engaging the suspect, firing back, and then we had two other SWAT officers that were coming down from another side toward him, and they all saw him about the same time, and um, the guy refused to put his weapon down, refused to quit shooting, SWAT into the situation, um, and took the suspect out. Good. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that, uh, especially in a situation like that, you've got someone who's has no regard. I mean, granted, he's he's a bank robber, but there's one thing about going into a bank and handing a note over and not being violent, but you up the ante like that, you've shot at police, you shot one of their dogs, you've you got the public all around there and continue shooting even afterwards when we're trying to, police trying to negotiate a surrender from him, he can yeah. continue shooting. I mean, I, I've got no no problem with that at all. With uh, I, to this day, I believe that he had the intentions of dying that day. Mm-hmm. Um, he had every opportunity to come out, and it's like say the amount of ammunition that he carried up. Where we, even whenever he was taken down, he still had thirty round magazines with him that weren't hadn't even been fired yet. Uh, when you go up up there to look at the location and where he was, of course, they had already moved him out, but I had seen some of the um, uh, ID pictures. Now, this man had gone up there. He had waited on us to come up in there because he knew it was concealed well, but he took the time out to take the money that he had, which was several thousands of dollars, and he spread it out in a fan all around him. And I think he just made a decision that that was the day he was going to die. And... I guess if that's what he wanted, that's kind of what he got. Yeah. Uh, do I have any sympathy for him? No. I, no, no, I wouldn't either. I have no, no sympathy for him. Uh, he made his decision. He was a career criminal. He was a gangster disciple, gangbanger, uh, been arrested so many times. And I think he came down here and he decided he was going to make his stand here. And it ended for him here. Is he from a different city? He's from. He was from Chicago. Okay. He was from Chicago and had been down here. And matter of fact, um, they're pretty sure that he was involved in two more murders that were here. They just weren't able to exactly, but they had good information that he was probably involved in the murders. They happened just prior to this. So I think he decided to make his stand, and his stand ended that day. Well, that's that's good. Uh, like you said, no sympathy. I got none for him none. at all, none at all. Um, so... Kind of last thing I wanted to touch on here, I also read that back in 2015 that there was a law created based on what happened that day uh, with Aaron and the sacrifice that he made. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that law that got put in? In 2015, you had uh, Officer Brett Spivey, who is a canine handler, or was before he went to uh, the drug task force. He was a canine handler in Franklin. And he took it upon himself, which, you know, he knew a lot of influential people as far as um, in the House, the state Senate, and everything. So he started really pushing to get a law passed that would do more to protect the canine animals, the, the canines, horses, any type of federal or local. This one was more local yeah. uh, to help any type of, of police animal. And um, like I say, he did a lot of work. He had a representative that pushed it. And it ended up getting passed and um, signed into law. Uh, at the time, it was called Aaron's Law. And before 
that law went into effect, basically the death of a canine or injuring a canine or a police horse was basically just considered a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. It was based on the value of the dog, which most of the time ended up uh, being pled down to a misdemeanor if they did that. Uh, After that happened, it went to a uh, Class E felony, and uh, that was signed into law as Aaron's law. Now, here locally, well, here in Tennessee, they just had another um, canine that was shot, and I'm trying uh, canine Joker. Uh, he was I shot in the about that, yeah. and they had a senator, um, a politician that really pushed to get Joker's law passed, and uh, that even up the felony, you know, the the punishment more. Um, only thing I hate about it, this, you know, I'm partial to my, my Well, dog. yeah, of course, yeah. And, you know, I, I never wanted my dog to be forgotten. And so whenever that law was attached to that particular law, yeah, I was really proud of that for the sacrifice that he did for the city and, you know, for me and my wife. And so I got to admit, when this new one came up or whatever, there was a little bit of hey, you're forgetting about my dog. You know, my dog paid the ultimate sacrifice. You know, I'm so happy for Joker, you know, that he's alive, that he's able to be with his handler. And, I, you know, just the fact that even Joker's law was able to take Aaron's law and make it even stricter than what it was, that's that's a good deal to me. And that's, that's another thing, too, just kind of how you were saying. That's one of the reasons I thought about doing this episode because – you know, even as I was looking back trying to do some research on the the incident and everything, there wasn't as much out there as there used to be. Yeah. And I don't want this is an important piece of history for Nashville. It's an important uh, piece of history for the you know Metro Nashville Police Department. And this this happened before all the new people to Nashville really got there. So yeah, um, I, I imagine most people never even heard of it. They live in Nashville now, and I I don't want the memory of Aaron to go away. I want this to, to stick around and people to know about it. Well, I, I genuinely appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, that, that means a lot. Um, now that was one of the things that I told my wife just right after his funeral, after we had had his funeral that, you know, if there's anything I could do, I'm not going to ever let his name be forgotten here. I don't care if they forget about me. That's nothing. <laughs> you know, I don't, that, that doesn't, but I want people to remember what my dog did, what he sacrificed that kept me alive, that kept other officers, my backup officer alive. He did what he was trained to do, and sometimes these things happen. I know that, and it's like I say, like I told you earlier, that after that particular instance, you know, to begin with, I was new with him. I was brand new, so I didn't know the ins and outs of a lot of it. But after that, you know, I learned so much more when I started running tracks you know, with my dog, you know, I probably ran my tracks a lot slower than a lot of handlers do. And that was not only because I was older, but it was because I had been involved in that situation. And I know sometimes it's not best to be fast. It's best to be slow and methodical. So I tried to make that my way of working a dog for the next 19, 19 and a half years after that. That's how I ended up working my dogs. And you retired here, uh, not too recent, was it? It's twenty seventeen. Okay, twenty seventeen. Uh, I was. I told my wife. I said the only thing I want to do is I want to be able 
to retire from K-9. And, you know, there was a hiccup right at the end, right there. My fourth dog that I worked, Belgian Malinois, beautiful dog, Rico, we'd worked together for about, probably about eight months, and he tore his ACL. And, of course, I was getting older, and, you know, if anybody that's been around police dogs knows how hard the training is. So I did actually have one person that thought that I wasn't capable of training another dog. And it was kind of like I told my wife, said, I'm, I'm not going to go down like this. So I I fought to get to stay in that unit. I trained my last dog there. No problem. Matter of fact, I retired with him when I left here. He's laid up on the couch, taking it easy, <laughs> enjoying life. So I feel very fortunate to be able to to live my dream as far as being a canine handler and being able to retire as a canine handler. Well, I, I just want to thank you again for coming to today. You know, it's a good little trip down from Nashville and everything like that. So thank you for all that you've done for for Nashville, for canines in general. I mean, really. And like I said, it's something I, I don't want to, to go away. Not to, the, the memory doesn't need to slip away. Well, I appreciate it. And I hope that people, I know that there's, you know, has been a lot of ups and downs as far as law enforcement, but these guys and girls out here doing these this job now, I have just the utmost respect for them because they're coming on at a time that I didn't have to deal with back whenever I came on. And they're getting out there and they're doing the best they can. So I appreciate you keeping things kind of focused on them too oh yeah always i you know i've always said i'm pro police and just i was saying in the parking lot too i'm pro police but i'm also pro good police you good know that's police. Mm. yeah and you know, that's another thing that you know my wife and i she said when we came in you know there's nobody that hates a dirty cop more than a good police officer that's right because it makes everybody here and i then again the same thing i appreciate the job you do because you were my lifeline people like you working up in the communications you know you were there for us you know when we needed things i needed you all that day and you did an excellent job you know and i appreciate the work that y'all did oh yeah thank you and also, while we're on the the realm of thanking people, uh, thanks, Trent, from Spread the Positive for yeah, having man. us in today. As I said before, if you haven't, uh, go and like his Facebook page. Contact him. If you have yeah. thought about doing a podcast, your local middle t- Tennessee area, uh, come down here, check out a studio, come uh, roll an episode. Yes, uh, sir. You know, do all that. Trent, anything you wanted to add in there? Yeah, I just want to thank you, Terry, and uh, uh, long live Aaron. Um, got me boohooing over here <laughs> as a d- uh, dogs over people person, man. He got me in my feels for sure. But uh, yeah, Brandon, I appreciate uh, appreciate this, Terry. Thank you for everything, uh, your service, uh, for your dedication, for your passion, all that stuff, man. It's uh, extremely inspiring, man. So appreciate you. Thank you much. I wanted to finish this episode out by saying thank y'all that tuned in live to watch us there in studio on Facebook. And wanted to add that the full phone call that came in, the 911 call, even though it was pretty bad quality, as well as the full radio traffic for this incident, will be uploaded as bonus content on Patreon. If you're not a member yet, jump over there and sign up and get ad-free episodes as well as this huge bonus content. This is a lot of audio, and just by listening to the recordings, you can see how it plays out from start to finish with even more detail. Just keep in mind, these recordings came from all the way back in the 1900s. (laughs) It doesn't seem like that long ago now, but 
it was over 24 years ago. Follow on all social media, and of course, share the show and especially this episode with anyone that will listen. Let's not let the memory of Aaron fade away. For Music City 901, I'm Brandon, and y'all have a good one.